I think that this is a balance. It has to be judged very carefully. Uh, I think there are people that quite like getting the extra £20, um, but maybe they don't need it. I'm very cautious on this because I know that some of my colleagues have jobs and outside work that they do, and that means them having to give up changing their lifestyle. We have to be careful about this. We have to realise that we're dealing with human beings who have families and responsibilities. Hello and welcome to Not Bane Podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every week, join me, Bay, and Corey as we look at Parliament and stories from across the diaspora. They have families. They have responsibilities. Yeah. They have a lifestyle to upkeep. They won't have to change their lifestyle. How? Certain <sighs> people are making 1.3 million. I, I hadn't seen that first bit on Universal Credit. I saw people talking about it today. I hadn't seen that. That I guess that was from a few weeks ago. So the same guy. Those all, those two statements came out of the same mouth. The same, the same guy. mouth, yeah. Maybe they like their £20, but they don't need it. They don't all, they they don't, don't all need it, do they? You don't Some need your £20 uplift, but on your £81,000 a year job, you do need to be able to get that second job to maintain your lifestyle. But even, even within his own logic, right? So he's saying that... If you are earning as an MP, but you're also earning on your side hustle, you've developed, uh, I don't know, maybe you've yeah, you've got a new something that you're paying for and you you budgeted it based on your second job. So, you know, they have a lifestyle to upkeep. Well, well what about the people who that extra £20 also have a lifestyle to upkeep? Now, that's assuming it's just a lifestyle. It's, and not food. It's, it's going to be a bit more than just a lifestyle. Yeah. But even, even if it was just, you know, but I don't know, don't somebody had taken on... Somebody, let's say somebody had uh, started a new course and it was costing an extra £20 a month and the Universal Credit Uplift was paying for that. That's a lifestyle change. I mean, most people, like you said, it's going to be food, the light bill, the heating bill. But even if it was something as tertiary as something like a course or whatever, is that not equivalent to the extra swimming pool that the MP needed to, uh, to, to keep paying for? The loan no, that he no, took out to pay for that? they're dirty scroungers. And don't deserve the twenty pound. Me, I'm an NP, and that means I deserve the money because I'm not poor. Because like... in this world, the poor people don't deserve money. Rich people are inherently good because that's why they're able to make money, and the poor people are inherently bad because for some reason you're too lazy to make money. You see, people like me who are mm-hmm. you know like to believe the best and are optimistic about our politicians and their motives and please, you know, oh, I'd love to hear. No, what I'm saying, even you know. For somebody like me, who is of that view, so I'm not optimistic. Well, no, you, you're very cynical about them. But but hey, I think you <laughs> stuff like this. But stuff like this just justifies the cynicism, doesn't it? Yeah, and what I'm saying is, even for somebody like me who's so optimistic about them, it's like watching something like that, listening to that, and it's like oh, they're just they're all a mess when you look at something like that. You just a mess. You, you'd give up on all of this. It. Just ugh, yeah, they don't value who we are as Horrible. people. Yeah, hard agree. Like. What if you are one of his constituents and you go to a surgery, constituency surgery, and you're on universal credit and you've seen that and you got an appointment with him on Friday to discuss, you know, something. Would you even want to go? Like, would you, you know, you're going to be constantly thinking, what does he think of me? Judge, like, yeah. Exactly. How can people like that represent average people? But when, when talking like that, they don't represent average people. They don't have any intention of representing average people. They represent the interests of whoever it is that they're working for, slash, really lobbying for, paying for favors, being paid for for favors. 
they don't oh, represent yes. they don't represent their local constituents unless they specifically have donated to the conservative party so yes of course for context we are uh that was what's his name that conservative mp andrew something rosendale indeed andrew rosendale that was hit the second interview where he was talking about you know how we need to be careful this was all this is all in relation to what we spoke about in the last show which was about the massive mp sleaze scandal though uh you know all of these mps who ha- who have their second jobs and some of them quite uh questionable let's put it that way um and he was basically there's now a lot of calls and talks and reviews there was even a vote in parliament today about uh, making the rules stricter on governing the standards by which MPs operate when it comes to second jobs. So that was him basically saying, hey, relax, slow down. We don't need to cut everybody's income off yours yet. Income, second income, third income, fourth income. What was some of the number? You told me a number today. Who was it? Who's earned four million, is it? Not four million, 400 and something, 4.490 something thousand pounds. Theresa May. Theresa May. She's earned that since last year? Yeah. Outside of her job as an MP. Um, <clears throat> and uh, uh, what's this? who else? Who this is the one I was talking about. Nadim Zahari. Yes. I believe it's 1.3 million. So he's Over, uh, it's current cabinet, current cabinet secretary. These men are making money. Now, as I said in the last show, I am not against total second jobs. I know you are. Um, I think it's about how, what the second jobs are how much time is given to them. So a lot of the considerations for rules reforms right now, a lot of, some of the talk is around, uh, well, this is actually coming straight from Boris Johnson. He's, uh, he seems to have really recognized the error of his weight. Well, at least on the face of it, he's realized (laughs) the error of his ways. Um, And he's, he's actually pushing, well, seemingly, you have to caveat everything, seemingly pushing quite hard for some sorts of rules change. And one of the rules change, what so one of them one one that's been discussed by different MPs especially on the rounds today is about capping the amount of hours this was something he was saying capping the amount of hours that they they work on their second jobs I think that really I mean they shouldn't be allowed second jobs at all but it goes but I mean I think I see I I think that's a good way I think that's one of many good ways of looking looking at it though because it goes back to what I was saying last week I don't think there's anything wrong with it because other people who are in full-time work, full-time employment, also have time for other endeavours. So I think capping, you know, saying, okay, cool, you've got some spare time, but you need to cap it at these hours. It's so interesting because so many other people with important jobs where they're subject to coercion, lobbying, etc., are not allowed second jobs, are not allowed to receive gifts, are not even allowed to act in with certain levels of impropriety, yeah, so- and yet people who in not necessarily the highest office of the land but with some of the most important offices of the land with regards to um coercion lobbying etc are not are basically subject to no rules which is also why i also look at the green seals look at all the green seals the green seal scandal where david cameron was essentially selling access or using his access who's able to privately lobby the chancellor of the exchequer because he has his number over text yeah. So one way of, um, I guess. So how many hours do we cut that? Out? Well, well, again, it's not just about hours. So that's why I said there are many, there are many different um, things that you they can and should do, and they are 
apparently looking into. So it's not just about hours. It's also about the type of jobs. So now this is coming from Keir Starmer. Starmer now is saying that there should be a ban on very specific jobs, particularly uh, consulting, consulting, consultancy work, um, parliamentary strategist type work. So, so again, you can, it's, it's the hours, it's the type of work, it's whether you should receive gifts or not, obviously, in my opinion, obviously, no, I agree with you there. Um, so there are many different things you can do to clean up the process without just saying a blanket, okay, you can't do anything else apart, apart from being an MP. Well, you can write, I think it's okay to write books. But you think they shouldn't be paid for those books? Mm? You think they shouldn't be paid for no, those books? No, they can be paid to write books. Oh, you see, but I last don't... week, last week you said, they shouldn't be paid I mean, for I don't think they like, should I mean newspaper I think it's okay. articles and things no, like that. No, they shouldn't be paid for newspaper articles because newspaper articles I think have specific sway. I think you can <laughs> write about you can write about your experience as an MP as long as it's you know covering specific topics, for instance, like as your role, what your role is about, your experiences within the role. Anything which it can be seen as um attempting to sway sort of opinion or um, you know, like political you, um what's the word not maybe campaigning all that sort of stuff it shouldn't be paid for no well so as i said because um, that comes under your role as an mp anyway so are you, write, wants, you write it to write it don't write it for um what's it called financial gain starmer wants there to be a ban on paid directorships uh, yes. Business and business, business consultancies. Anything to do with businesses, and, but but businesses are not the only are not the only way that companies lobby, you know. Well, well, exactly. So um, all of it. Again, he wants to also ban parliamentary stra- parliament yes. parliamentary strategists. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, um, consultancy work as well. Not mm-hmm. just you know, so you might not be on a board, like you said. I think you should you be can... allowed to be a lawyer, but then again, specific, within a specific remit, you know, all of those things within a specific remit, and it and. Even then. Do you want to hear what Jacob Rees Mugg said? No. Okay. Even then, no. Shut it down. None of you should be able to earn no extra money. Write your book when you're finished. And if you're in the and if you're in the cabinet, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think if you're in the cabinet, how can you be in the cabinet? Yeah. How can you be a full-time MP and also in the cabinet with a second job? And the prime, our current prime minister has apparently has time to write a book. Yeah, I don't get While that. running the country. Because to be honest, lazy. being a cabinet secretary is a second job. Exactly. And yet um, you've somehow got time to do a third one. But and apparently you're you'll get your, you know, you're doing eight hours or however many hours a week. Why do you have a spare um, 10 hours outside of your full-time job, your cabinet job, and seeing your family and children? You've got you a spare have, 10 hours a week. What the single? That's fine. You shouldn't be getting paid for it. Either way, why you got so much spare time? Go look work. <laughs> Well, the case, the caseload in your um, constituency is piling up. Your case workers are on their knees begging for some help. Nobody, you, you don't even hold a surgery once a month. But apparently, you've got spare time to do um, to be doing consultancy work for gambling um, lobbies. I definitely think yeah. there should be separate rules, a harsher, more stringent rules for um, cabinet secretaries. Basically, if a minister, any minister, if you're not just cabinet secretaries, if you're a cabinet secretary, even if you, I think if you, even if you're a junior minister, I think there should be definitely, um, yeah, they should basically be not allowed to do much um because like you said for me and again for so i agree with you on the on 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 that but my my reasons for it are probably different i again i i would say that's more down to just the amount of hours that they actually do have spare because you would think 
cabinet secretary, a minister has even less hours spare than a regular MP because they are also a regular MP and they have their um, uh, duties in whatever ministry. This is what I'm saying. That means something is um, falling by the wayside and I'm pretty sure it's the one that's worked. That's the, you know, the public service role. Well, like some people have said, if you're being paid more for your second job, then is your second job really your second job or is it your first job? Well, exactly. Uh, I mean, I think there are, you know, you can argue that that necessarily isn't the case. But mm, can you? If you're, oh, yes, you can. can. If yes, you can. Because let me give you an example. And you're making 1.3 million. Which one do you think is your priority? Well, if you're making that 1.3 million from three speeches, which in total probably take you like three days in terms of preparation and well, they're delivery. Not, they're not. It's not speeches, though, is it? No, no. But you was like the likes. You of, were saying thingy was speeches. Sure, I'll take that because one. You know what? I yeah, don't, something I that's don't only, agree. Yeah. I don't agree with Theresa May. I don't think she's you know not necessarily an excellent person. But I think with regards to I'd have her this, back in an instant. But I think right with regards now, to the decisions to the that guy. she would with regards to the decisions that she would make. Mm. I'm loathe to think that there would be things that would be, you know, extremely unmoral, immoral even, just because of the type of um, religious beliefs that she quite steadfastly holds. I would assume and at least hope that it would mostly be for speeches rather than, you know, lobbying, lobbying for gamblers mm. and, and, and um, alcohol companies or whatever. The rest mm. of them, no. But even still, she doesn't need to make that money from speeches. She's, even, she's very boring, so... Yeah, but people like her, 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 her erudite, you know, ways of helping, uh, lifting a room and lifting the mood at a conference. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I was going to say, because that one cannot lift a room to save her life, unfortunately. Poor so life. sad. And... Well, she's not quite, not poor, not poor at all. And not very rich, rich. Because husband, husband's got a massive job too. He's thinking of um, Circo, isn't he? Somewhere. I can't remember. One I know it came up. No, no, I know no, there was no. a bit. I know there was a, there was a lot of talk about his yes, job. Yes, because there was a conflict was of interest because yeah. he um had their the company had the contract for the Olympic Games. Yes, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. So moving on, talking about the Nationality and Borders Bill, a clause has recently been added, which allows the government to strip people of their citizenship without notice. Um, prior to this, there were a. Uh, rules that require them to give notice which which was to be fair quite lax anyway um it was a notice could have been a, a, a note on their account but more more often this was for people where they couldn't um they didn't know their whereabouts now it's there's basically no requirement there's no checks they can essentially if you're you've committed a crime they can decide to um remove your citizenship without notifying you and then when you come out of them, if you're in detention or you're in prison, et cetera, or if you leave the country, you just won't get let back in. Which has happened before already. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, there's been a lot of brouhaha today I've seen on, on my timeline and elsewhere, you know, about people, uh, people's outrage at this, this idea that they can now not even give notice if they can't find it. So it's basically a thing where they say, well, we couldn't find them. So there's no notice being given citizenship revoked. I mean, that's not the issue. Like the, 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 the horse bolted a long time ago. From, exactly. When they, opinion, got of, was, when they got rid of Shamima Babum's um, before that citizenship. Even, yes, I know. But that was quite clear with the regards to the stuff that happened with Windrush as well. It's very obvious that this has been the path that they're going down. And it's very obvious who this is aimed at, you know, 
it is well, very it's... obvious who this is aimed at. It was the same way when my um a member of my family was in the doctor's surgery and there was asked for papers. It's very obvious. What what is you know the end goal of this is to get rid of is to get rid of the of us of of anybody who they think you're not even who's of um who they think anybody who has um lineage somewhere else. Shabima Begum didn't have citizenship in a different country. Bangladesh. Was not, no, she, yes, she didn't she, have citizenship. Yeah. No, she didn't. She did not have citizenship, nor was she entitled to citizenship, which the Bangladeshi government said. However, they said she had the um the uh the British government, the home office here, said that she could try and that was good enough for them, that she had the option to potentially get it. And they should they were said that she didn't. It didn't matter. They chose to do that anyway. And now look here we are. And it's even more fitting that the agents of both this this law and the the previous the previous um, move with regards to Shamima Begum is is people of color people of color. It's important because they're being they're allow not even allowing they are very much agents of oppression against people who look like them and who will be who it will be used against is people who look like them. This is not going to be used against Irish people. This is not. This was not used against um, Jihadi John, who had um, a claim to citizenship in the Netherlands. It's used against black and brown people, and that is who is it is intended for. Pretending that it's not intended to be used against them is, you know, being extremely obtuse and on purpose. Mm. I mean, so I, I just I totally disagree with the idea of being able to even revoke somebody's citizenship, but. Um, it, it it but it is very on brand, isn't it? Because again, it's this idea that you this sort of cavalier assumption that you have somewhere to go back to or you have somewhere to go to that is not here in the same way that they they operated with people who you know have been here windrush or windrush children of windrush generation who have been here from when they were you know three four five six years old it's like okay you can go back go back to where bro where but it's the same thing here just taking away citizenship oh because you know you've got somewhere else somewhere else you can go to or you've got another you got you got a passport for for the place where your your grandparents were born it's like you well, have yeah, an but, option yeah but i don't know anybody there though. i don't know <laughs> anybody there i'm not from there i don't have any roots there and you know that was one of the important parts of the um, Human Rights Act is the, the right to family life, which gives you a right to be in the country where your family resides. All the, the all like, Pete, I think sometimes we forget, we think that because you're not a criminal or you're, you're not a refugee or you're not a, an asylum seeker, that these rules that we see people exercising their right to, whether we agree with them as people or not, are frivolous until eventually you're going to realize that they're, you, they're very much needed for your own personal protection. And here we are in a situation where this is where you can end up having a traffic offense. And if they decide to, they can revoke your citizenship. And next time you're going to next time you go to Dubai, you can't find you can't collect your way back home. Yeah, you're at, you're at um you're at Gatwick and they're telling you no. Mm. Even even worse, you're, at, you're not even at Gatwick, you're at the airport in Dubai and they're telling you no. Now you're stranded. I mean, if somebody commit, if somebody's British and they commit a crime abroad, they should be brought back here and tried. Of course. Or if they, if they, if they go and fight for some terror group, they should be brought back here and treated as an enemy combatant, but a British enemy combatant, and because they are British, so they should be. If they've done something wrong, then yeah, you, okay, yeah, of course. It's not about it's not about turning a blind eye, and this is a way of it was it was painted as if you know as if it's pe people being soft on people who have you know genuinely done bad things. Well, no, it's not about that. You can do both. You can take responsibility for them and act accordingly. 
because they are they are our citizen and you deal with them accordingly like Absolutely. you would any our citizen our citizen come let them hit come here and do the and pay the price for the crime as you would do for anywhere else you send back their criminals why would you why would you want to um send them somewhere else so just make any sense give it a context to this basically the home office home office powers to strip british nationals of their citizenship this was introduced after um 7-7 after the bombings in 2005 um, see, sorry just as a pause i know you yeah. know not to be all as people you know people love to say not to be all left-wing but you do you see what people have been talking about with regards to the anti-terrorism laws and what they have allowed to be brought in under the guise of anti-terrorism use the laws that we have already and the um, frameworks that we have already to convict criminals. All of these new anti-terrorism laws, all these laws that have been brought in with regards to COVID are very much the framework for um, overreach. And here we are. Carry on. Yeah, no, no. I was just basically just giving a bit of context as to sort of where this started. And this is what I was saying before, like the horse bolted ages ago. Mm -hmm. Like this idea of... But no one was paying attention because they weren't a terrorist. Like basically making somebody stateless. Like how, how do you make somebody stateless? That to me that makes no sense. And I saw somebody, somebody even today, I saw on Twitter, um, Bonnie Greer. You know who you know her? She's mm-hmm. a American poet. Well, I say American, yeah, here's the thing. So she's a naturalized British citizen. And she actually, I mean, she disagrees with this, but she said she agrees with the fact that her is a naturalized citizen. She thinks the Home Office does have the right to take her citizenship. But I would say, even somebody like her who's naturalized, no, once you're no. in, you're done. Once like, you no, accept me now. to be a citizen of your country, I'm a citizen of your country. You can't now take it back. Yeah. Then otherwise, it. what? Then if you, because if you can take back citizenship, then why does it exist as a thing? It basically is meaningless. It should be full and final. Exactly, because if to become a citizen, a citizen of um, certain places, you have to give up your nationality of other countries as well. So mm. I have to. I'm giving up my nationality of, of of another country, and yet I'm losing, and I'm losing that other country's protection, and yet I don't have full comprehensive protection in Britain under all circumstances then what's the point? Why not just make anyone who's a criminal a stateless and chuck them in the sea? Isn't it easier? It's a bit drastic. Exactly. But but cutting some, getting rid of somebody's citizenship is absolutely drastic. It's basically ridiculous. Mm. Where are they all, where will they all go? Taking us back to Africa this week, you have a story on Libya. Yes, I do. So this is a, you know, a little bit more lighthearted. I mean, is it really? Is that the um, former, the, not the former son, the son of the former president and now dead Muammar Gaddafi is going to be running for president alongside the former uh, general of the, Lib- the Libyan army who has been convicted, well, not convicted, is accused, sorry, sorry, not convicted, apologies, has been accused of, numerous war crimes um Saif al-Islam Gaddafi who is the son has been to jail for his um what's the word I want to use war crimes no not war crimes for his for his role participation for his participation in the war in Libya rather than his war crimes but he was sentenced to sentenced to death but he actually did six years and then was released um so and apparently he's still eligible i don't think you i think i think most places you actually can you run for office after being in jail i think you actually can right except for america i mean libya has 
No, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. That was just, it was just an, a thought. Yes, he went to London School of Economics. Fun, they always do. Um, and he was, prior to the, the um, war in Libya, he was actually seen as a more friendly face to the West. He was seen as, you know, the same way that they talk about um, the current leader of Saudi Arabia. He was seen as, you know, the great changer, the great modernizer who would work with the West. Um, and he had uh, played a lot of roles in dealing with the Lockerbie uh, crisis and freeing some Bulgarian nurses who were held up by the regime in 2007. He's well known for giving some what interesting speeches as well, but he apparently has got very excellent in, in English as been reported, which may or may not have some dodgy undertones, but we'll move on. Um, so the there has been talks about these elections actually for a while now, and the plan is for there to be elections at the end of the year, though they are actually really considered quite dangerous because, you know, new democracies and the usual for all that there is about the idea of elections in um, Africa in general. So the current date or the current pro um, proposed date is the 24th of December, um, which has been agreed with the, uh, a bunch of foreign leaders in um, Paris. However, obviously this is subject to change. This guy, the general who is running as well, is somebody who's super contentious and quite a lot of people in the West said that if he is um, elected president, it's unlikely that he will be somebody that they're willing to work with. Not that I think it's any of their business, whether he is, you know, a war criminal or not. That's usually not how that, that works. So it's, I think it's, I just thought it was a, a fun, interesting story, just because, you know, a lot of the time we're doing stories about death and coups and droughts and famines and locusts and all the rest of it. I thought this is a little bit more, you know, quirky nepotism. What's that face uh that you're making? I mean, like, you know, there was a lot of death in Libya, both pre and post. Tony Blair is a woman. But Libya's been a, in a total mess since uh, Gaddafi and, and Tony in the Blair. war. There's been a lot of death in Libya, too. There's been, there was a lot of death in Iraq. There's been a lot of death in Afghanistan. Yeah. Tony Blair was still, that... was, was, still, was still prime minister. Uh, president Bush was still um, uh, president and was dealt with on the international stage. I, I think, I'm not saying that um, people who don't, who commit war crimes and all the rest of it should be allowed to be leaders and should be um, accepted by the um, international community. I'm just saying the rules should apply across the board, not as and when we feel like it. Our country continually maintains um, economic and political ties with Saudi Arabia. And they killed an American journalist and everybody knows it in the embassy so do you know what i mean yeah i, I look i i that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying i was saying something else that's yeah. all but yes in regards to safe al-islam gaddafi i was actually there's a i really like was, that name it's nice name um there was yes what you were saying then about how he was you know in the days before gaddafi was taken out um, he was seen by the West as sort of a, a future figure who they could deal with, you know, somebody who's more moderate than his father. Um, but things really did change when the war started. He became very much more hardline. A lot of the softer rhetoric he used beforehand, you know, in the 2000s when they you know, thought he was a future nice guy, really changed. Um, and I was actually... I I was listening to, are we allowed to talk about other podcasts on the podcast? Yeah, sure. Oh, well. So I listened to The Daily, which is a New York Times uh, podcast, which comes out daily. You see why it's called The Daily, because it comes out. Anyway, 
um they had an they had an episode about two weeks ago now where they had an uh, one of their it was fascinating so one of their journalists was put in contact with this guy with Saif with mm. Gaddafi's son and it took like about a year um between that first phone no 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 more than a year it's a couple of years between that sort of first phone call where he's put in touch with somebody who knows him who knows him who knows him mm. um and then he actually ended up in Libya and interviewed him and it's on the podcast. And then there's a, there's an article, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes uh, where he was, um, you know, he sat down across, across from him and sort of asked him about, you know, everything that's happened to him since and his future plans. Well, obviously that's a bit dated now, what you're yeah. saying now. So he's definitely going to run now because yeah, at the time. Enough. Yeah, there'd been the rumours, there'd been rumours yeah. and his aides had been, you know, dropping hints, but he has, at, he has definitely now announced that he is running from his, uh, party political campaign has announced that he will be running for president of Libya. Now that really will be interesting. I, really, I don't know we, I don't know what his politics are yet. Um he hasn't really got a, his uh site up or anything like that. So I, we can you know scrutinize his policies. Um but as yet, you know I mean it will be it will be a bit into, it'll be interesting to see. It's a, yeah, it a rebuilding be. government, won't it? Is it a rebuilding an infrastructure right. government, writing constitutions, all that sort of stuff. That stuff is hard. I mean, so sometimes it's somebody, yeah. But somebody who has a little bit of political will, or not even political will, but you know, goodwill from the people as well, it can sometimes help. Yeah, but then that's even questionable about the people because again, in in that interview, it was very clear that you know he doesn't have it, the country is divided. Um, yes, so, will, so will this actually, will this make things even worse if he is? It make it. It might make it worse for half of the population and not worse for the other half of the population, like with most countries. Well, we shall wait and see. we shall see. We shall with see. Wait breath, and see. Indeed. Mm. But it will be interesting though, because things would, if he did win, yeah. it would be full circle. Like the guy who they thought was going to be a good guy after Gaddafi who then they realised wasn't a nice guy. And then it's like, he might actually become the guy. So then they actually have to work with the guy. But why are we talking about, like, <laughs> they are the um, great arbiters of good in, in the first place? Hey, I mean, so I'm just saying from the perspective of... They get to, why do they get to provide the parameters of goodness? That's for another day. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NotBanePod. And if you're listening on iTunes and you enjoyed what you heard, rate us five stars. It helps us get up the rankings. If you didn't enjoy it, ignore everything I just said.